Good evening, my name is Alex and I'll be your host tonight as we deep dive into some of the world's greatest mysteries. You're listening to Mysteries After Midnight. To anyone that has ever taken a trip through Point Pleasant, West Virginia, they'd probably describe it as an unassuming little town just like any other. A small downtown, streets lined with mom-and-pop shops, people waving as you pass by. But despite its seemingly ordinary appearance, a statue in the middle of town indicates otherwise. A shimmering steel statue on Main Street commemorates the birth of one of America's most well-known cryptid legends, the Mothman. On November 12, 1966, in Clendenin, West Virginia, Kenneth Duncan was digging a grave in Coont Cemetery for his late father-in-law, Homer Smith. He was accompanied by Robert Lovejoy, William Poole, Andrew Godby, and Emile Gibson. Kenneth Duncan glanced up from his work briefly, just in time to spot something massive soaring above their heads, moving rapidly between the trees. Duncan tried to get the attention of his fellow workers, asking them if they had also seen the large creature. Unfortunately, they hadn't. Duncan stated, quote, it was gliding through the trees and was in sight for about a minute. End quote. The men discussed the sighting with only a few friends, not thinking much of it at the time. Having no idea what it could be, Duncan could only describe the figure as a, quote, brown human being, end quote. It wasn't until three days later that the men realized that there may have been more to their sighting than meets the eye. Seventy-five miles northwest of Clendenin in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, two couples, the Scarberries and the Millettes, were traveling together through the TNT area, the site of an abandoned World War II TNT factory, formerly employing 3,500 workers and manufacturing 500,000 pounds of TNT per day. The factory closed soon after the end of the war, and the 8,000 acres the property occupied was repurposed, 3,655 acres of it becoming what is now the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. The couples claimed to have witnessed a large beast with bright red eyes sitting about six inches apart and having a ten-foot wingspan. They noted that the creature appeared to avoid the car's bright headlights. Eyewitnesses Roger Scarberry and Steve Millette told local paper the Point Pleasant Register that the creature was able to fly at incredible speeds, possibly as fast as 100 miles per hour, but it seemed to be a clumsy runner on the ground. The creature allegedly chased their vehicle to the outskirts of town in the air, and then landed and scuttled off into a nearby field, vanishing from view. Understanding how absurd the concept of a large flying hominid is, Roger Scarberry insisted that the figure couldn't have been a figment of his imagination, stating that, quote, If I had seen it while by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it. End quote. The papers initially reported the supposed Mothman as a bird or a mysterious creature, however, still including Millette's description that it was like a man with wings. The official police reports from their encounter are on display in the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Linda Scarberry's report is as follows, quote, We were riding through the TNT area on a side road by the old powerhouse building around 12 o'clock on Tuesday night, November 15, 1966, when we came over this small rise in the road. All at once, Steve yelled for us to look at that thing in the road. I looked up and saw it go around the corner at the old powerhouse. It didn't run, but wobbled like it couldn't keep its balance. Its wings were spread just a little. We sat there a few seconds, then Roger took off. I kept yelling for him to hurry. We didn't even stop for the curves. We got out on Route 62, and were coming down the road, and that thing was sitting on the second hill when you come into the first bad curve. 
As soon as our lights hit it, it was gone. It spread its wings a little and went straight up into the air. When we got to the armory, it was flying over our car. We were going between 100 and 105 miles per hour down that straight stretch and that thing was just gliding back and forth over the back end of the car. As we got there in front of the lights by the resort, it dived at our car and went away. I could hear the wings flapping as if to get more speed as it went up. We were all terrified and kept yelling for Roger to go faster. As we came into that straight stretch by C.C. Lewis's farm, the thing was over our car again. Then it disappeared as we came into the lights by C.C. Lewis's gates. We went on downtown and stopped at Dairyland and tried to decide what to do. We just sat there and looked at each other. I wanted to go to the police, but Steve and Roger kept saying they'd just laugh at us. We talked about it a while, and Roger and Steve wanted to go back up the road. Mary and I kept trying to talk them out of it, and finally when we got to C.C. Lewis's gate, they decided they didn't want to go back up, so we turned around. As we were turning, we saw a big dead dog lying along the road. When we were almost turned around, this thing jumped and leapt over our car and went through the field on the other side of the road. We decided to go to the police then and went down and around Tiny's drive-in looking for them. Gary was outside the drive-in getting ready to take a couple boys home so we told him about seeing this thing and asked him to call the police. After the police came, we went back up the road in our car and Gary and the police about half a mile behind us. I saw it then in a pasture field with its wings out a little, walking towards the car, then it went up in the air and came at the car. As Gary's car lights came over the rise in the road and the lights shined on it, it disappeared. We went up and down the road looking for it but didn't see it anymore. We went back down to the drive-in and got in Gary's car and went back up. We finally found Millard Halstead and got with him and went to the powerhouse building. We sat there with our lights out for about 15 or 20 minutes when I heard that squeaking sound like a mouse only a lot stronger. A shadow went across the building over the hill across from us. Mary and I saw the red eyes then and told Millard. He shined the lights right on them without being told where they were. We saw dust coming from the ground or somewhere as Millard moved the spotlight around. We finally left and came to the trailer. The Millettes were afraid to go to their apartment, so we decided to stay together, but we didn't go to bed. We just turned on all the lights and stayed up. Wednesday, we went up again to the building and found these off tracks around the building. Steve was around the boilers by himself, and suddenly he came running out, white as a sheet, yelling for someone. He said he saw it in the boiler. That night, it was seen at Thomas's, so we went up there, and Mary and I stayed in the house while Steve and Roger and a few other bystanders went looking for it. On the way up, I saw it from the highway above the trees gliding back and forth. They searched the area around Thomas's house, but didn't find anything. We started home around 12.30, and I saw it in one of the maintenance buildings. Mary and I started crying, and Roger took off. I kept thinking about that thing following us again, but it didn't. We went to my mother's, and I went all to pieces. Roger and my dad took me down to the hospital. I finally got back home, and we all stayed together that night again, but didn't go to bed until 3 or 4 o'clock. We were still afraid to go to sleep. The next day, Thursday, we went back up with reporters, and we all heard a clanging noise from inside the building. Roger and Steve and the reporters went back in and found the boiler door open that Steve had shut when they had left a few minutes before that. That night, we went back up, and Mary Heyer and I saw the eyes inside that fenced-off place beside the powerhouse building. On the way home, I saw its eyes back in some trees from the road as the car went past and looked back and could see its form. That is the last time I have seen it. To me, it just looks like a man with wings. It was a dirty gray color. It has a body-shaped form with wings on its back that come around it. It has muscular legs like a man and fiery red eyes that glow when the light hits it. There was no glowing about it until the lights hit it. I couldn't see its head or arms. I don't know if the eyes are even in a head. When we came down the straight stretch by the armory, it didn't even seem like it had any trouble keeping up with us. It must have had very powerful wings. 
At no time did this thing fly at us from the front of our car. It stayed over the back end of the car while it was chasing us. It seemed to be afraid of lights, but I read in the paper today that it has been seen in the daytime in town. That I don't understand. The prints we found at C.C. Lewis's gate, and at both powerhouses and at Thomas's, they look like two horseshoes put together, but they're smooth. I know people are laughing at us, but it's no laughing matter. We'll never forget this thing. It has affected our lives in many ways. I am keeping going on nerve and sleeping pills. When it gets dark, I feel the fear creeping over me. When I go any place, I automatically look up and out the windows. I'm afraid to sleep at night, so I lay awake sometimes crying with fear. When I do sleep or go to bed, the lights burn all night. Even in the daylight, I'm afraid to be by myself. I walk around in my own house expecting to see that thing. I close my eyes day or night and I can see those red, fiery eyes staring at me. Every little noise scares me to death. I can stand in a crowd and hear people talking about us and laughing. People have said we were probably liquored up, but we were not. They go up there expecting to see it, but then they say they don't believe us. We have seen it, so we know what to look for, and we are constantly looking, not because we want to see it, but because we're afraid we'll see it again. Out of all of the phone calls we've gotten, not one minister has called to help us or try to explain what it is. We all agree we'd like to talk to a minister about it, but no one seems to take us that serious. One minister even laughed and said they'd finally run the devil out of their church and that's what we saw. We've been harassed and laughed at and called crazy. We just can't go up there and hand it to people on a silver platter like they seem to want us to do. We are never really going to get over our fear until we find out for sure what this thing is. I know I'll never forget it. I don't think anyone can who has seen it. End quote. Mary Millette and Roger Scarberry filed very similar police reports. Between all of the reports filed by the Scarberries and the Millettes, we can infer that the humanoid creature was approximately 6 feet tall, with large wings on its back spanning 10 feet, and two red eyes about 2 inches in diameter set about 6 to 8 inches apart, with an ability to travel at speeds of around 100 miles per hour. Roger Scarberry stated, quote, This thing, whatever it is, is definitely not a crane or goose or balloon or any of the things it has been called. I have seen it and I know what it looks like. End quote. Over the course of the following year, many more reports came flooding in from around the Point Pleasant area. The Gettysburg Times reported eight additional sightings within the span of three days after the first sightings took place. Two volunteer firefighters claimed to have seen, quote, a very large bird with large red eyes, end quote. Salem, West Virginia resident Newell Partridge reported his television showing strange patterns on its screen and making an odd buzzing noise, followed by a mysterious sound emanating from just outside of his home. Taking a flashlight, he shone it in the direction of the noise and was shocked to see two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors staring back at him. Partridge also claims that the strange beast was responsible for the disappearance of his German shepherd. On December 15, 1967, came one of the most influential sightings regarding the way the Mothman would be seen and interpreted within its legend. Just over a year after the first sighting, locals reported having seen the Mothman flying over the Silver Bridge, a suspension bridge connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Gallipolis, Ohio, across the Ohio River. The traffic that day happened to be unusually heavy, coming to a standstill on the bridge. Silver Bridge, originally built in 1928, had been constructed with fairly basic techniques. The engineers didn't employ much in the way of safety failsafes, as the design featured minimal redundancy, meaning there was basically nothing to fall back on if one part failed. Like dominoes, if one part failed, it was very likely that many more would fail in succession. Built with the Model T in mind, a car weighing in at about 1,500 pounds, the 40-year-old bridge didn't have the capacity to withstand the weight of the modern cars of the 60s, many of which weighed around 4,000 pounds. Buckling under the weight, 
a single eye bar near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side cracked, and the chain snapped. With its equilibrium disturbed, the bridge fell to pieces, cars and pedestrians plunging into the icy cold Ohio River. 46 people died, either drowning or being crushed by the wreckage and debris. From that point on, people grew divided on what they believed the Mothman's intentions to be, many believing that the creature had somehow caused the bridge to collapse as an act of ill will. The Mothman has also been allegedly cited at various disastrous events since the collapse of Silver Bridge, such as the 9-11 terrorist attack, as well as before earthquakes, tsunamis, and other natural disasters. Some claim that the presence of the Mothman is bad luck or the cause of these disasters, while others believe the creature to be a benevolent harbinger of doom. People have speculated that perhaps the Mothman has the ability to see into the future and wished merely to warn us of impending misfortune and disaster. Regardless of its purpose for existing, the entire world can agree on one thing, and that's that we have no real idea what this creature actually is. Theories range from aliens to misidentified animals to mass hallucinations caused by adrenaline and trauma, and no one can seem to settle on one. One theory claims the Mothman was nothing more than a well-executed hoax by an ambitious prankster, going as far as to hide out in the TNT area waiting for unsuspecting travelers to pass through. And when the national press ran the Mothman sighting reports, it caused mass panic and locals began attributing every large animal sighting and shadow in the woods to being the Mothman. Even long after the prankster would have given up the joke, the sightings would continue based solely on the overwhelming fear of the community. Other Mothman enthusiasts have made parallels in the creature's appearance to several typical demon archetypes reported by people plagued by sleep paralysis. Since sleep paralysis occurs in the moments between sleep and awake, when your mind is coming into consciousness but your body is still in a sleep state, dreams become very real-appearing hallucinations, often taking the shape of your anxiety, amplified by being unable to move. Reports of monsters and demonic hallucinations are very common with this condition, leading researchers to believe that the Mothman is just a fear-based projection pulled from the recesses of the mind and grafted onto real animals. Dr. Robert L. Smith, Associate Professor of Wildlife Biology at West Virginia University, dismissed all ideas of the Mothman, finding the idea of a flying monster staking out the town to be a delusional absurdity. He instead attributed the Mothman sightings to a very real animal, the Sandhill Crane, a bird standing approximately four feet tall with a wingspan of six and a half feet. The feathers of this bird range from gray to rusty brown in color, with bright red feathers around the eyes. A number of early reports leaned on more bird-like characteristics, making the sandhill crane a reasonable explanation. People even began hypothesizing that the bird responsible for the cryptid sightings was possibly deformed from residing in the TNT area, many suggesting that the bunkers may have leaked toxic materials into the neighboring wildlife preserve, affecting many of the animals living there. Toxicity testing of the TNT area showed a significant amount of TNT, TNT byproducts, and asbestos in the soil surrounding the industrial area. In 1981, redwater seepage, a liquid waste product produced during the manufacturing process of TNT, was reported near Pond 13 on the wildlife station. Investigations concluded that the groundwater and surface water was also contaminated with toxic materials, and buried wastewater lines associated with TNT production were also found to contain crystalline TNT. Cleanup operations have been enacted in an effort to remove the contaminants from the area, and is ongoing, with annual testing being conducted to monitor the progress of the toxin removal. After being decommissioned and abandoned by the army in 1945, based on the toxicity reports, it's safe to assume that toxic materials and byproducts had been leaking into the wildlife preserve for over 20 years by the time the first Mothman sighting occurred, theoretically giving plenty of time for the surrounding animals to display deformations due to consuming contaminated foods across several generations. 
Based on studies of injuries and deformations in sandhill cranes conducted in Florida from 1974 through 1999, the most common deformities cataloged were leg tumors, beak curving and crossing, bilateral doubling of halix, and even one case of scoliosis causing a severe neck deformation. However, none of the documented deformities appear to be significant enough to cause such a drastic misidentification as a six-foot-tall winged man-like creature. Sandhill cranes are also not native to West Virginia, and while animals do not obey borders the way humans do, West Virginia is not even within the documented migratory path for this particular bird. It's possible that a bird took an alternate route to their Canadian breeding grounds, landing in Point Pleasant briefly. However, this would discredit the TNT deformation theory, as a bird passing through would not have been exposed to the toxins long enough to cause deformations as a result. Some theorists are certain that the Mothman is not a creature of this Earth, but an alien from a distant planet. Some versions of the Mothman legend recount strange visits from mysterious men in black suits shortly after the first reports of the winged creature made the news. I was unable to find any official witness reports involving the men in black for this particular event. However, there have been other UFO-related events in West Virginia that captured the government's attention enough to send agents to investigate. The most recent sighting of the Mothman took place in 2020 at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Reported by a 15-year veteran of the United States Postal Service, she reached out to UFO Clearinghouse to tell her story. She said, quote, I had just left work at the USPS sorting facility at O'Hare Airport at about 11 p.m. on Thursday, the 24th of September, and was walking out to my car when I saw something standing at the far end of the parking lot where I usually park. At first, I thought it was a very tall person with a long coat. As I got closer to my car, I unlocked my car, which caused my headlights to come on. My headlights hit the person standing about 20 to 25 feet from my car, causing it to turn and look right at me. I saw that this was not some person but some red-eyed creature, and what appeared to be a coat were actually wings, which it spread out as it turned to look at me. At first I thought it was some kind of very, very large bird, but I've never seen any bird that stood almost 7 feet tall. I'm 5'4", and this thing looked taller than me by at least 2 feet. This thing then started making some type of chirping sound, almost a half chirp and half click, like someone was clicking their tongue, but much, much faster. It then made some type of screeching sound and took off running toward me. It got within 10 feet of me and took off into the air and flew above me. I was screaming hysterically as I crouched down behind the car's open door and I dived into my car head first. I was in a near panic as I tried to start the car, close and lock the doors, and turn on my interior lights. I started my car and took off out of the parking lot and flew down the road until I hit the main road. I got home and told my husband, who also works at the same facility, and he was the one who told me about the sightings of this thing. I was scared shitless and hope I never see this thing again. This thing is roaming around the area, scaring people half to death. I hope the airport people decide to do something about this thing someday." End quote. One skeptic reading her account claimed it to be nothing more than an airplane flying over the airport being mistaken for the famed cryptid. While that is technically a theory, it's probably the biggest stretch and most improbable explanation of all of the theories I've read thus far. Regardless of what this mysterious creature actually is, or whether it even really exists at all, it's evident that the legend has left its mark on West Virginia, and the world at large. As of 2019, the census reported Point Pleasant to have a population of 4,146 people, many of which held jobs in the retail industry. The town has fully leaned into the Mothman legend, shop owners theming their stores, restaurants, and menu items after the creature, all of which are available year-round, but their biggest tourism event of the year is their annual Mothman Festival, which attracts upwards of 10,000 tourists every year. Mothman Museum employee Brittany Sayer said, quote, You'll be on Main Street, and it is packed. You cannot move on the street. End quote. As for the locals, most of them are all for it. Sayer continued, quote, 
There's always going to be the ones who aren't really into it, but I mean, that's anywhere. Before Mothman things took off around here, it was pretty much dead. Even when I was growing up, Main Street was empty, and now we've got shops in the buildings and people are coming in and it's thriving again, thank goodness. So, a lot of people are glad about that." End quote. Many of us want to believe there is more out there, and maybe someday we'll have real answers to this mystery. But sometimes, the mystery of it, and the unity of the community because of it, is worth more than an explanation. This has been the Mothman Mystery. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions or would like to share your own personal paranormal experiences, email us at mysteries.am at gmail.com. You might just hear your story on the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at mysteriesam and Instagram at mysteries underscore after underscore midnight to stay updated on new episodes and behind the scenes content. If there is a specific mystery you would like to hear on the show, tweet or DM us about it and we may just make it an episode. I would like to extend a special thanks to Ron Paquet for recording additional voices for the show, and a special thanks to listeners like you. From the Mysteries After Midnight team, stay safe out there. <laughs>